Hello, and welcome to The Dentrepreneur Show. I am Dr. D. Todd Russell, a dentist and entrepreneur with over 30 years of experience. On this show, we're going to discuss, engage, and prepare you for taking your practice or business to its end game. How do you grow it? What metrics do you track? How do you know when is the right time and what things you need to have in place to create the best long-term value for your business and wealth for yourself? You need to polish your spirit and prepare yourself no matter how far along you are in your career. Hello and welcome to The Dentrepreneur Show. I'm Dr. D. Todd Russell and with me today is my friend Eric Delafuente. Eric, welcome to The Dentrepreneur Show. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric is a uh, renowned, and I, I can see if you check out his his uh, his website, Eric delafuente.focalpointcoaching.com, you will see that Eric has been featured or seen on ABC, the New York Times, CNN, and the Wall Street Journal. Eric, we're going to talk a lot about you, especially to start. Tell me how that happens. Wow. Talk about a guy who's gotten around, got some big press there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't like the, I like to stay a little bit humble, but basically the long story short is, you know, I started in consulting in earliest part of my career and I've been doing that for over a decade now. But when I started my own business, like just before that, right, the last role that I had before that, that's where a lot of that press came from was because one of the consulting firms that I was working with, I ended up implementing a system through partnership channel, through revenue through partnership channels and grew their business by $25 million. Mm-hmm. over 12 months. Um, and pr- prior to that, it was like a $30 million company. So that's where I got a lot of attention, a lot of eyes, a lot of people looking at me. And then when I started my own business, instead of kind of going down that path, it was pretty easy to say, Hey, I've done some stuff. Come talk to me. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. Right. Hey, ed- edification, brother, right. Run with it. And especially when you've got some success like that, you know, um, and now it's clear that you're repeating it too, which is even better, right? You weren't, you weren't just a, a one-off. So yeah, not, not a one trick pony for sure. Right, right, right. And so tell us a little bit more about this. You are a business coach and I love that as opposed to consultant. Consultant is such a old outdated term. I love the term coaching. So tell me a little bit more about your company and uh, some of your clients and some exciting things that you're doing, Eric. Yeah. So I guess the long and the short of it is business coaching is is really what it sounds like. I mean, if you think about the top athletes in the world, for instance, they all have coaches and they're so good at what they do, but they still have someone kind of looking from the outside and providing feedback, providing thoughts, providing perspective. And so essentially, that's what I do as a business coach without kind of the fitness component, right? It's just the business aspect. And so it's a little bit of a balance to, to think about, okay, I'm not your therapist, right? We're not going to talk about your feelings and your family life or anything like that. <laughs> but I am interested in how your business affects those things because ultimately, that's why we're in business, right? Is we want to have a better life for ourselves. So that's my focus as a business coach is to help individuals, specifically now private practice owners, unlock the full potential of their businesses so that way they can live the life that they want to, which could be spending more time with family, more time vacationing, whatever it is. But getting it back to the foundational level items of what needs to happen in my business in order for me to get there. And so that's what I focus on now today. A couple of things uh, to unpack from that uh, opening monologue there, my friend. First of all, I know you were a Division One tennis player. I was. So you division, therefore... Well, to pause, Division Three, Division Three. Okay, I'm sorry, Division, division three. three. All right, yeah. but you were a college athlete. Let's leave it at that, which therefore tells me you're coachable. 100%. And, there, and, and experience would then lend that you know how to coach, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's an athletic event, but still, 
very similar, right? You're going to outline the steps to get there and what it's going to take, the practices you have to do, which leads me to systems. Are you also touched on systems, right? Mm-hmm. So being a business coach, you are, there are certain systems that are, um, repeated throughout every business, whether you run a dental practice as, as I do to, you know, somebody who makes uh, Kleenex, right? It's those same principles. And you're just teaching those who aren't implementing them, never thought of implementing them or implementing them wrong. And it sounds like the other key to, and we talk about this too, on my show in the past, you know, setting the goal, setting the bar, whatever it is, like you said, it's a work-life balance was something I think you and um, uh, I've read about you and, and heard from you uh, is big in, uh, in your coaching is to find that balance for people. Yeah. I mean, for me, the priority is, and I think I mentioned this earlier, it's like, what is it that you want to achieve, right? Like, what is it that you're in business for? For some people, it's, I just want to leave a legacy. I want to grow this and scale it and make a a lot of money doing it. Great. Like, If that's the plan, that's kind of a different procedure to get there than, well, I want to sustain and help and guide my family. And that's my priority. I want to be able to spend time with them. And I don't really care too much about making this as big as I can, but right. I want to make sure I can fund it, you know, whatever, whatever those adventures are. So those two dialogues are very, very different. And that's why, you know, I focus on what you just said, right? What are the goals? Yeah. And then ultimately getting a plan to get there. Perfect segue, Eric. So on my show and what has driven me to create this show is that so many of my colleagues are not prepared to exit their dental practices. Dentists, traditionally, we, we're solo artists, Nobody can tell us what to do. We are, we know it best. And instead of accepting the coaches that are out there, and I'm sure a coach like you, if you don't know the answer, you know somebody who does. As dentists, as solo practitioners, many of us, we're afraid to step outside the walls of our office to ask people for help when we need it. We might leverage our accountant or our attorney, but not ever really get coached. And the segue I'm, I'm approaching here is I'm talking a lot about this exit and how poorly prepared my colleagues are. But in order to get there, from the moment you start that practice or acquire that practice or acquire that business, there's this path and plan you need to exit. And one of those things is to have the systems in place, to have the coaches who have helped you build the structure so that it actually increases value. Right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 100%. And I know there's there's this hesitancy sometimes for for people specifically in private practice to embrace outside help, right? Whether it's a coach or like you said, other individuals, but even if it's not a coach, right? Someone like yourself who's done the thing and has experienced the thing that they want to do, like having a resource like that is the same thing as having a business coach. It's just the dedication and the accountability is, might be a little bit different, but same conversation. And so yeah. I mean, I'll echo a hundred percent what you just yeah. said. It, it's it's never easy to ask for help, but having the help when you need it is, right. is always good. And I'll tell you more recently, since I've been in this and what I'm trying to do is actually coach my colleagues towards their exit. And the way I run my, my consulting group, but the way I run my coaching is that I promise them that we'll get the answers, that we will develop the systems for them. In many cases, it's easy, right? It's rinse and repeat. We already know the system. You know it. I know it. We're just implementing it with them. But in other cases, you do have to, you know, it's a little ad hoc. You have to figure it out for them. But I like to leverage my connections. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take you down 
uh, I'm trying to think, uh, like writing a contract. Sure, I've got one, right? I, in fact, I just shared an associate contract with one of my clients, right? On how to, but he's like, okay, well, put in this. And I said, wait a minute here. I want you to read it and I need your attorney to yeah. review it. Yeah. I'm giving you, I'm doing all of the, the grunt work for you as your coach, but all the fine tuning I can advise you on, but that's a decision. You need to read this. And if you read it carefully, I've given you an A and a B. And that's, that's at least that's how I'm, I'm seeing it. Now, the flip side of having a, a business coach or a, a consultant or whatever in your, in your company, I've seen where there's people who bring in experts all the time to help. The problem is it's, uh, I call it expert du jour. It's, oh, well, me, this one, okay, this one, I brought this one in. And then all of a sudden there's a, there's a new squirrel over here and they go grab this one mm-hmm. and they keep, and I work, I want to say closely, but I've worked with uh, some people who I feel like that's what they do. They, they don't understand something. So they seek out experts, but then eh, they, okay, for a minute, now I'll go over to this one. And then all of a sudden that one changes things. And so it's consistency is what we're mm-hmm. looking for, right? Find somebody to engage with. You, you're easy to get along with. You're so responsive to, and folks on my show, those that know me personally know when you text me, you email me, I pretty much fire back probably before your finger leaves the send button from your own device. <laughs> Eric is the same way. He's super responsive. And I respect that and love that because if you're going to be my coach, man, I have a question. I don't want to wait three days for an answer. 100%. You know? Because half yeah. the time I'll have forgotten why I asked the question anyhow, right? Exactly. One, I appreciate you saying that for two reasons. The first is thank you. The second is, yeah, you're hundred percent correct. Like nobody wants to ask a question and then feel like they're out on an island. Mm-hmm. And so a good coach will kind of enable you to say, okay, you can ask the question, but you still have all of these other things that you could be doing while you wait for this response, whether it's one minute or one day or whatever mm-hmm. it takes to get a good response to that question. And so Yeah, I definitely think responsiveness is a critical component. But going back to one other thing you said earlier, as far as like, I forget what you called it, uh, something du jour, but shiny object syndrome, essentially, right? Yeah, Jumping from one to another. Expert du jour. Expert du jour. That's what it was. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. I might steal that one. Please do. Um, But basically, if you have a good, solid business coach, they're going to have all of the things that you need maybe not themselves, but they'll know someone like you said earlier, they'll know someone that will. And so that's part of the vetting process when you're thinking about engaging with a coach is like, okay, these are the things you can help me with. Sure. But what about all these other things that you don't have? It's like, well, I actually know this person, this person, this person, and this person that can help with those things when we get there or if we get there. Right. Right. I think that's critical. Let's lay the foundation first. These are the principles that we know that are common to all successful businesses. Let's put those in place. Then after that, we're going to start to dive into a little bit more of each one and where we're going to need the help is might be here, here, and here. You, you know, you doctor do an excellent job at, uh, let's see, uh, finding and retaining staff, right? You've got long-term staff who've been with you. They're well compensated. They're happy in the environment. That's fantastic. Maybe we don't need an expert there. We just got to make sure we tidy some things up. But on the other side, you are terrible at understanding uh, your profit and loss statement and what your, um, you know, what your chart of accounts should look like. Um, and no, you've got to stop. You know, you've got to stop buying cars through your dental supplies. It's not, it's just, a, uh, that's not how this works. You yeah. know, I mean, I know you can do it, but look at you, we've got to, we've got to legitimize this stuff or at least quietly tag it so we can come back and talk about it later. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've, I've seen I've seen a lot of that more than I'd like to admit, but I've seen a lot of that where you got to be like, hey, man, let's figure this out first because you're going to have right. problems down the line if you keep doing this. I think it was a uh, squirrel syndrome, wasn't it? Squirrel syndrome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we're both I'm stealing squirrel syndrome and you're stealing uh, expert du jour. Expert du jour. Uh, I also call it, uh, by the way, I use it again in a different context, but I call it Dr. Du jour. That's um, sort of the, the type dental practices that I'm not a big fan of. That's the big the big box dental practices where it's a, it's a new doctor every time you come in. Yeah. It's not no consistency in my business. My personal belief is you're developing a relationship with me. You need to trust me. Yes. We can all be mechanics. Like I, I can fix your tooth, but if you know my personality and you've gained a trust, you know, not only am I going to do it well, but if it doesn't work, you know that I have the integrity and the relationship with you to make sure it does get done. Yeah, I'm going to say prop well, but fixed, you know, if it doesn't go as planned. Yeah. Um, And that, that reminds me of, of something. So I know most of your audience is, uh, is in kind of the dental field, but one of my clients is a, is a physician in his own private practice. And what you just described, as far as like engaging with the patient and making sure they're comfortable with you and everything else, that's like a business model, right? That's an objective that the business owner has saying, I want to have this connection with my patients because they'll stay with me for a long time. One of the physicians I'm working with, it's really strange, is he's just trying to get through patients as quickly as he can because he needs the volume in order to sustain the business model that he has built. And so it's very different because that coaching experience is obviously, okay, how do we maximize that as opposed to the one that you described, which is all about the customer experience. And so it is just an interesting parallel to what you just said as far as what it is that you focus on in your practice. So we as a, and, and I'll, I'll keep going down that path with you, the difference between medicine and dentistry. So um, if you've seen the movie, the hangover, you know, you know, you're, yeah. you're just a yeah. dentist or whatever, yeah. but in my opinion, we're somewhat of the smarter breed from the standpoint that we sat back and learned a little bit more of the mistakes that they made. I'll use HMOs as an example, capitation. Mm-hmm. Medicine mm-hmm. dove headfirst into that into the 80s. Dental came along later, but we realized that it wasn't that great. And so you don't see capitation very prevalent in the dental world even today. Mm-hmm. Consolidation, you've seen it with all of our doctors are being bought up by the big regional hospitals and they're all part of it. And you know, they become W-2 employees. We're seeing that with dental, we're seeing consolidation, but we're seeing consolidation a little bit differently for the same reason. We kind of learned what our, our MD brethren did. The third thing is exactly what you touched on. It's that personal care used to be your primary care was someone you could go sit down and talk to. And they would not only know your physical state, but they know your mental state mm-hmm. because they are under that umbrella of the corporate medical world. It is a 10 minute appointment and no more. And in fact, if you can do it in eight, so we can squeeze in seven patients in an hour, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And as opposed to dental, I preach Hold on, back off. You don't need to be part of that insurance game anymore. You can be a private practitioner and spend that, I call it the handshake hug moment, right? That first five minutes with the patient, get to know them. And I see that it's in dentistry, but it's not in medicine anymore. Yeah. Which is a shame. And it goes back to a question I always ask, really before they become my clients, I always ask them, what is it that you're selling? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they'll, they'll answer, well, you know, I do dental care or I do implants or, or whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you really boil it down, it's like, there's a lot of people that do that, but what is it that you 
specifically are selling? What makes you unique? If I go to Joe Schmo down the street, he can do all the same mm-hmm. dental stuff that you can, mm-hmm. but what is it that makes you unique? And then that's where we get into a conversation of, well, it's the client experience or the patient experience, right? I'm selling that peace of mind. I'm selling that ability for them to know that they're going to be taken care of and they're going to feel like they're part of the culture, part of the family, part of this group, right? That feeling of belonging, right? It's a community, like all of those types of things. And selling that is very, very different than selling, you know, just getting patients through the door. Right, right. Yeah, the volume thing works for a minute and we, we certainly need volume, but it is, it's, I tell people all the time, you're out there selling yourself. That's what you're mm-hmm. doing. Yeah, my, in my case, I'm selling my hands too, but I can't sell my hands until you give me an opportunity. Now, hopefully you don't need my opportunity to use my hands, right? Hopefully you come in, everything's hunky-dory, we're done. Yeah. But if you do need me, trust you, you know, I need that opportunity to show you that you can trust me to do a good job. I'm not going to hurt you. I like to make people laugh in the practice too. I think everybody hates being in our building. They, they, you know, no, every time they walk in, I like you, but I hate you, you know? And so if you can make people laugh when they're in the dental office, if there's laughter going throughout a dental practice, then you know that it's a, it's a good place. And I love that you call that a business model, this more of a hands-on touch type model, as opposed to, I guess the, um, you know, the rubber stamp of a manufacturing plant, right? The right. constant drone of the uh, pistons working, if you will. Right. I say that because, and this is a conversation I have at the very beginning of any engagement is kind of that clarity or that foundational conversation of where it is that you want to go. And we talk about exiting and all of that, but the difference between that business model, which is where you care about the customer and you're very invested in their experience, as opposed to what you call the rubber stamp model, is you structure everything in the business differently because of that. So if you're focused on the customer experience and everything that you do is tailored to that, the moment they walk in the door, it's their experience. And so who's greeting them? How are they greeting them? What does the office look like? That's part of it. And then how long are they waiting until they sit in the chair? And then once they sit in the chair, how is that conversation? Who's seeing them? What's that care look like? How much time is the actual dentist spending with that patient, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that is very, very different then I'm just trying to get through as many patients as I can. You know what I mean? So that's why I call it a business model because it impacts everything. Right, right. No, it it truly does. And and I think that's, you can segue into, you know, talking about the culture. I'm a big fan um, of EOS traction, right? And determining your culture and your vision and bringing on board people who are like you. Because then, you know, as soon as I hand off that patient from me to Jesse, I know that she's exactly, not exactly like me, but has a similar mindset. And therefore, the patient's going to have the same experience with her as they would with me. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and to echo that, one thing that I, that I do with some of, my, some of my clients is behavioral analysis. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, like disc profiles or mm-hmm. disc assessments, but doing those types of things to understand how people communicate and how everyone else in the office communicates you can be strategic with that and make sure that certain patients who you've kind of assessed to be a certain way interact with those individuals that you know they'll get along with more so than others that might rub shoulder or, or bump heads a little bit. Uh, you'd be talking about something like a Colby score? Something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we did that with uh, with my leadership team a number of years ago. And it was, it was fa- it's fascinating. Yeah. Getting segues all the time with me, but I have a friend that uses, are you ready for this? The what do you call it? The horoscope signs. 
Oh, really? <laughs> Knowing what the horoscope means as far as personality traits, it helps him to identify the trigger points for making sales. That's interesting. That's the first time I hear horoscope signs as being used. Yeah. I know, right? So immediately it conjures up Nancy Reagan, maybe. I don't know, something crazy going on. But you know what? Let's unpack it. It's a system. He's got a system. He's had success with this, this, the system. He repeats it. He can demonstrate it to others. Look at this person is a, I don't even know half the horoscope, a Sagittarius. And they, I don't know, they like red, shiny things. Yeah. So you put in sales, you come in with a red, shiny suit on, you know, yeah. and, and it works yeah. time and time again. So again, it's, it's about the system, but yes, it's the horoscope, which is kind of funny. If you met this guy, you would think that would be one of the furthest, furthest things from his mind. Yeah. Hey, if it works, if it works, it works. But yeah, right, I, I, right. I'm, I'm with you on that. It, yeah. You get a process in place, test it. If it works, create a system around it and then scale it. So, uh, you know, Erica, we've uh, been talking for a few minutes here and already you've helped me a ton because you're helping to show my audience that there's something, there's some meat in here that they need and they need, they need to surround themselves with experts. And I've actually talked about that with others on the show in the past, but someone like yourself, we talk about everybody needs an accountant. Everybody probably needs an attorney at some point, hopefully not that often, but you need an attorney, but the coaching, the consult, the business consultant, you know, we need a dental practice consultant because of the nuances of the dental world, but you know, someone like yourself, what I've noticed with a lot of dental practice consultants is they are not business consultants. They are more in line with exactly what we do. So, and when we're done, I'm going to allow you, obviously have you uh, have a few moments to tell everybody know how they can get in touch with you. I think you'd be an integral part of any dental practice and I'll let my uh, listeners uh, take it from there. So as I talk through my shows with people about exit strategies, you know, in dental, it's changed a little bit. We now have private equity, you know, large groups buying practices and everybody's out there trying to drive the best valuations, right? And that's what's more important. In fact, I was talking to someone today, there was the old way of valuating dental practices. And now there's sort of the new way, which is the way everybody does it for just about everything. And that is, you know, a multiple of profit, right? A multiple mm -hmm. of EBITDA. If you were a small business owner, and this is one of my leading questions often, at what point in your career do you think you would start thinking about an exit? I think you know my answer to this question already, but it's it's I day do. one, man. It's day yeah. one. Like that's got maybe day zero. Like that's got to right. be part of the plan. Right. It does. It absolutely has. To, you have to. You want to focus forward, but you also got to focus on the end and kind of come back and meet yourself in the middle. So yeah. I'm a, uh, let's say hypothetically, I'm a young dentist out of school. I've uh, been practicing for a couple of years. I'm, I've now, um, I've come across, there's somebody on my show, Chris Vandeford, who's probably one of the best dental brokers in the, in the business, right? So you're introduced to Chris Vandeford, who's, you know, got a multiple number of practices for sale. Now you make the, make the decision to buy the practice. Do I get in touch with you before I sign the, the loan document or the agreement, the purchase agreement? I think so. And, and it's the reasons are because I want to make sure before, if you're in that scenario, right, you're, you're recently out of school, you've been practicing for a while. There's a lot you don't know about running, managing, operating, even growing a business. And so even if you know, okay, I'm going to exit this at some point before you buy, there's a lot of things you want to look out for that's going to set you up for success before you pull the trigger, right? So 100% at least have a conversation with me or someone like me that can walk you through some of the things to look out for 
before you pull the trigger. Yeah. Quite frankly, in the dental space, talk to a guy like me who's seen a bunch of practices. We can show you you know, from the business perspective, I can show you from the um, uh, what's under the hood of the dental practice, if you will, as to whether or not it's a good buy. In fact, I, I more recently consulted with, uh, a, you know, a colleague. She was looking for a dental practice and she got all excited because this one was, oh, it's right around the corner from my house and it's right. And I said, well, let's let's take a look at it. And so it turns out she's like the eighth person to look at the practice in the last eight months and no one's bought it. Well, there's mm-hmm. a reason for that. And once we started looking into it, I said, you realize that this, this, and this, and she's like, oh, that makes total sense. Yeah. I shouldn't buy that practice. So unfortunately yeah. it can be, the answers we give you may not be what you want to hear. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, and it, it's the same concept when you're thinking about buying a practice as you would buying a home, right? It's the same. I use that analogy often because you might see the pretty pictures and then you go tour the house. You're like, this is great. This is exactly what I'm looking for. It's in the area that I want, et cetera, et cetera. But then the inspection comes and it's like all of these things that need to get fixed before you can even enter the home or, or own it yourself. It's like, okay, well, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so then it's a conversation like, do I still want to do it or not? But to what you just said, yeah. Knowing that eight other people have already looked at the practice and not purchased it. Why not? What's going on? Asking questions. Yeah. Eric, so in your experience with, um, you know, dental, medical, especially, but even small business, what are some of the, what are some of the more common themes that you see with areas that need to be improved or changed with uh, small business owners? Yeah. The biggest things I see are, you're going to love this answer because you're a big systems guy, but it's operationalizing things, right? If you're doing something more than once per day or more than once per week, write an SOP, Right. For literally anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're going to get large enough to a point where someone's going to have to take that from you. And you're probably not going to have the time to sit down with them and describe how you do it or how to, or, or when to do it or anything like that. So you find yourself repeating tasks multiple times a week, multiple times a day, write an SOP on how to do it and try to find a way to delegate it, especially if you're the business owner. So that's the first thing. The second thing is kind of consistent with that, but knowing your numbers. Like you have to have KPIs, you have to track those numbers because if you have no idea how many leads are turning into patients and how long those patients are staying and how much they're paying you over a course of a year or whatever the time period is, then you have no way to scale your operation because you don't know what to fix. You don't know what to change. So those are probably the big two things are operationalizing processes and tracking numbers are are the big two things. And when it comes to that final exit point, when you have tracked those things for a long period of time, demonstrating consistency and growth, that validates your SOPs, mm-hmm. right? Because we're demonstrating growth. Um, and the, the um, and I love to make fun of the private equity people because they all, I, I call them, they fly at 36,000 feet, look down and never get in the weeds and don't understand the weeds, but that's what they want to see. So the buyers, and again, it could be, it could be, ha ha ha, it could be the private equity guys, or it could be another practice uh, with a coach who's coming in, who's going to know those are key things to look for that makes it a better practice. And for you, the seller, it adds value. Yeah. It's an intangible thing that adds great value. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's one thing I like to talk about when I'm talking to, to clients, whether they're small business owners or private practice owners that are trying to exit or thinking about exit is like, if you removed yourself from the business tomorrow, mm-hmm. would it survive? 
Right. And if the answer is no, it's like, well, then you're not ready for that yet. Or mm-hmm. you're going to get a very crappy valuation, right? Right. So the, the numbers might all look good, but if you're working a hundred hours a week to sustain those numbers, then it's, it's not, it's not scalable. It's not sellable. Yeah. Well, I do talk a lot about valuations. Um, and I think you, you know, you nailed on two of the, two of the bigger ones, right? Systems, right? standard operating procedure, the SOPs, and then tracking your numbers. In dental, I always kid around and say that there's there's only a couple of things that we can we can monitor, right? Dollars and cents, which I don't know if you've seen this, and, and this is where the question lies. How do we combat as a coach? How would you combat? I'm a small dental office. I'm a I've got a doc that's a client of mine. He's got one associate thinking about another one. He's got a poor culture in that the team tends to push him around. And I think culturally, some people need to go in order to improve things, right? Mm -hmm. But how do they, how do you approach someone that needs to rip those band-aids off and improve the team, improve the culture in order for that doc to get, or that that business owner to get where they want to go? Yeah. So the first thing I would do is go back to kind of the foundational level items, which is why did you get into business in the first place? And what type of business are you trying to build? Because oftentimes when it comes, especially in private practice, when it comes to letting people go that are toxic to the culture or just Mm -hmm. aren't working out, it's tough because they're not thinking about it from a business perspective. They're very much ingrained to the people side of it, which is obviously important, but you're still running a business. And so they're thinking, well, if I let this person go, then I'm going to have to spend the cycles to hire someone else to replace them or do it myself. And I don't have time because I'm doing all of these things. And so understanding and letting them come back to, well, what kind of practice are you trying to build? Because if this action is consistent with that, then it's a no brainer, do it. It, You shouldn't even think about it. But if it's incongruent with that, then let's assess. Maybe there's, there's room for improvement in the culture. Maybe we can figure out what the problem is and refine it and make it better. But those steps really come back to figuring out what that initial alignment, what initial that the initial foundation was. Yeah. It can be a struggle, especially when, you know, again, I go back to the small business where, you know, the top dog is the, is the owner. They're there all the time and uh, they see these people on a consistent basis, but it can be a real struggle because they're, they're actually being, they could be much more profitable. They could be much more valuable if they would make those decisions. I love the idea. It's a business decision, but then the other side of that is, and this is where I run into some problems with some of the groups that I've talked to is, oh, well, now you're corporate, right? Mm. You mentioned monitoring numbers. You mentioned, we talk about culture because that seems to be, you know, a key trigger word in different, uh, you know, in the larger entities that are out there. I think it's all BS because that which measure is measured grows. So we need something. There's only so many things we can measure. And then what I do is I, I, I flip it around and I ask that person, I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, those were my ideas. How would you monitor what we're doing? What things, yeah. what things come to mind to you as to how we can measure growth if we're looking for growth? Or in, in some cases, let's, let's not even talk about growing. Let's talk about maintaining. You like your salary where it's at? Great. Let's maintain that for the next 10 years. No cost of living adjustments because you'd like it right here. Right. Right? How do you combat that? How do you combat that? Oh, you're being corporate because you've got numbers. Yeah. It's the tough. Killer. If that's the mindset at the beginning, it's you really got to break that mindset. You got to shift their beliefs a little bit and help mm-hmm. them understand like, 
okay, let's assume we don't do any of the corporate things, right? First, let's mm-hmm. let's figure out what are the corporate things you don't want to do to become corporate. But then put it in the context that they'll understand. How does that decision of not making the correct business decision, like you said, impact their life, impact their family, impact their professional development, things that are outside the business? And then once you start thinking about those things and you start to get them to see, well, if I maintain status quo, then my personal life is going to be miserable because I'm going to hate what I'm doing. I'm not going to spend as much time with my family, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you can measure that and say, well, do you Mm -hmm. want to be happier with your family? Yes. What's impacting that negatively? Well, it's my business. Okay. So now we need to make a business decision. And so it's really just reverse engineering all of that into a place where you can say, you got to make a business decision for the business's sake because it's impacting all of these other things in your life. Right. So you, uh, my next question actually goes on to sort of, let's talk a little bit about some fun things and some successes. And you, in the early part of the show, you talked about, you know, you and the success you had with the prior company, but, you know, give me uh, some insight onto one or two of your more successful clients and, and, you know, what you would define as success. I mean, obviously everybody's immediately going to say, well, Todd, that means numbers, profit, money, but Eric, what are some of the more successful things that you've done and businesses that you've worked with and what has yeah. made them such? So actually two come to mind that kind of get me excited. One of them is numbers related. The other isn't. But the first was really about kind of, we'll call it client acquisition. This wasn't a, this wasn't a private practice, but they were struggling to get enough people in the door, so to speak, to have mm-hmm. enough conversations to then have enough clients. And they had no idea how to, to do that. They didn't have they didn't have capital to invest in advertisements or in other companies to do this on their behalf. And so it was one of my favorite conversations I've ever had is I had that, and I keep going back to this, I don't know why, but it was that clarity conversation of like, what is it that gets you out of bed? Like what excites you? And we came up with, they just really loved talking about the thing that they did, loved talking about it. And so I said, okay, here's how we're going to monetize that. And basically created a organic content marketing strategy for them where all they did was talk to something on a, in front of a camera or in front of their phone or whatever else and just post it and post it and post, post it. And because they were so keen on their audience, who they were trying to get as clients, everyone who engaged were potential prospects because it was for them. It was directly specific for them. They felt that way. And so it was really easy to have that kind of organic conversation. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. we systematized it. They had enough money to have another organization come in and kind of splice up the videos and create this kind of omni-channel approach, et cetera, et cetera. But it started with like, what gets you out of bed? Well, I really like talking about the thing. So now they're profitable and that made me really happy. And that was over the course of like three to four months. So not a long period of time by any means. The other was I was working with a, uh, a speech and language pathologist, private practice owner. And she had, uh, she had two clinics and for whatever reason, she was doing well, but had no idea about anything in her business. Like when it came to numbers, systems, people like no idea. It's just, she was doing the thing and it was working, but her home life was miserable. I mean, she was working 80, 90 hours a week, mm-hmm. um, you know, enjoyed the work obviously, but just way too much and just didn't have time to you know, spend with the family. And so what I worked with her on was basically letting go of the reins a little bit and just kind of creating systems, creating processes as we've talked about. So that way she could take a step back and still do the thing that she liked, which was speaking with patients and helping them through their issues, but reduce that from 80, 90 hours a week to like 45 or so. And now she's taking regular vacations with her family. 
doing the things that she loves to do with her kids. And that kind of stuff is what gets me out of bed is where I'm impacting someone's personal life based on the changes I'm making with their business. Yeah. Awesome. I kind of love that, that second one, as you're talking about it, I looked at a practice, a group that has multiple locations recently. And, you know, when I dove into the numbers, the net profit number is not good enough for her to um, even think about an exit at this point. And as I'm looking at the productivity, I'm thinking to myself, this isn't sustainable. You know, that's the other side Mm -hmm. of that being the chief cook and bottle washer Mm -hmm. with not, without leveraging any of the help around you, which then leads back to systems coaching, training those people Mm -hmm. how to do your system, having someone like yourself, a coach on the outside, helping you to vet all the issues with your systems, making sure that they are, let's say, relatively foolproof, Mm -hmm. but that they're also easily teachable, easily reproducible. And now you can start to let go of things, Mm -hmm. you know, and once you start to let go and then go back to culture, hiring the right people, hiring people that believe in what you're doing, that that see things the way you do, then those systems are easy for them because they're similar to you. Exactly. You know, exactly. Isn't just amazing how it all comes back and forth, back and forth. I love it. And I'm astonished by it every time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like you figure out what the core challenge is and then you just reverse engineer a way for something you can do today to impact the next thing, to Mm -hmm. impact the next thing, to kind of get to that challenge. And yeah, I mean, Sometimes all you really need is that outsider's perspective that understands right. those things to help you through it. I do think, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a couple months older than you probably, Eric, and uh, I do think that my generation is kind of on the tail end in my industry of being very independent. I think the generation behind me is not afraid to use someone like you, a consultant, trying to break through to, to my age group, to my, um, my generation of practice owners, a little tougher. Um, any, any thoughts, uh, uh, to those out there that, um, maybe have never thought about doing something like this, but, but should. Yeah. What I like to say is, especially to the younger generation is you spend probably spent so much money on your education <laughs> to learn how to do the thing that you do, the thing that you're going to have for your career. But if you're hesitating to spend a microscopic portion of that for help from a business perspective for something you know absolutely nothing about, then it's time to shift that belief a little bit. You're making investments in yourself and your skills and everything else, but you don't know anything about business, yet you want to start a business. It just doesn't make sense. So that's what I would say to the younger generation. And to the older generation, I probably... I don't typically work with as many older people because of that, what you just described. Mm -hmm. But I typically leave them with, if you're not going to talk to me or if you don't need help from me, like you still need help. Here's some people that, you know, you might want to speak with based on the things that you're talking about. And that's typically where I leave those conversations. How about this, Eric? Eventually you're going to exit. Hence the purpose of my show. Yeah. The people that are most likely going to buy your practice are going to be in the younger generation. Perhaps if you knew a little about where they're going and what they're thinking, your sale process is going to be easier, maybe even more valuable. Yeah. So think about that. Lay down those, uh, you know, unpack that wall, unbuild that wall and, you know, investigate what behind you, how they're thinking, get that coach on your team and you'll probably have a better overall experience at the end too. I love that. I love that. And 
I'm glad you said that because oftentimes when people say exit, they think, oh, big sale to private equity or whatever. But sometimes an exit is a smooth transition to an associate you hired that wants to take over your practice, right? It could look like that. And there's a lot of different versions of that. One thing that popped in my head too, we go back to the numbers on things. I I was uh, in the more recent years, there's somebody that I know where, you know, they, they quote unquote, get granular and that's a caution I have. and, And I hope you do too. You would with yours, right? Okay. There's it comes a point where, okay, that is not an important number to track. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's not, you know, sure we can track it, but it's a waste of time. Do, mm-hmm. do you see that often where somebody is too much into the de- details? The, the spreadsheet goes to, you know, triple Z yeah. columns <laughs> all the way out, right? Way to the right. Yeah. 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 So I, I referenced disk assessments earlier. That's what we would call a high C. So yes. high C's are, are people that are very analytical, need to have all of the information in front of them before they can make any kind of decision. And it, it, the coaching aspect of that, of their behavior is like helping them get out of that. Like, do you really yeah. need that information? What do you need it for? And if you do need it, let's find a way to get it where you're not the one kind of doing the thing all the time and taking your time away from somewhere else. But oftentimes it's helping them realize you don't need to track that. Right. You don't need that right. information. Eric, it has been an absolute joy to have you on the show today. This is a great conversation. I, and I think we should do this again in the next couple of months because there's so much more to learn from you, uh, myself included. You've already made notes, a, a bunch of them, and that's just awesome. to, for myself. But anyhow, and we have both have a couple of take-homes from each other today, which is great. Yeah. I try to close my shows, though, with one thing, and that is um, I talk about influencers and people on my show have already heard me talk about uh, the who's and the why's of what has influenced me. For example, a book, several books I've read, several people in my lives. Who is, uh, Who are or what is Eric's influences or yeah. have been? Yeah. So I've got two big ones. The first is a book, actually, that I read very early on in my career as a consultant doing professional services. And it was called, or it's called How Clients Buy. Um, hmm. And it's by, uh, I think it's Tom McCacken and, and something Fletcher. But basically what that talks about in, in general is instead of focusing on how to sell your services, flip it on its edge and think about how are your clients buying your services? Mm-hmm. And you'll find that there's kind of seven or eight key components for any professional services sale. So that really influenced how I go about what it is that I do in my day-to-day. And then the second influence in my life is my brother, actually. Mm. He's two and a half years older than me. And his life is very, very different than mine. Yeah, He got married super, super young, like fresh out of college, got married. It was hustling from day one, you know, didn't end up working in the field of study that he had in college. And, you know, fast forward, was it 10 years, 12 years now? And he's got three kids, a beautiful wife, an amazing house, and his own insurance company that he started from scratch himself that's very successful. And so seeing that, seeing his journey, seeing his progression has been very inspirational for me, especially in my professional career. That is fantastic, friend. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, you're the first one to say that it was a sibling. Um, yeah. So that's kind of that's cool. Eric, how can anybody that wants to get in touch with you, learn more about you, your business and your services, get a hold of you? Yeah, well, you mentioned my my website earlier. It's uh, the Eric De La Fuente at, at focalpointcoaching.com. And on there, there's actually a free business score assessment that you can take. It's just a short survey and it'll kind of give you some areas of opportunity. Um, that's where I typically direct people. Or I've got a Facebook group specifically for private practice owners called Propel Your Private Practice. So you can find me on Facebook and try to join the group and you'll get 
all kinds of freebies, videos, playbooks, and everything else. I'm sure I'll be putting this recording if you're kind enough Please to share do. it on there as well. Right, thank yes, you. I will absolutely be doing that. Um, uh, but, you know what, yeah. Eric? In fact, your Facebook group is how you and I connected. Exactly. Neither of us are afraid to reach out to anybody. We're not afraid to talk to anybody, right? I mean, that's yeah. clear. And uh, I don't know whether it was you or I, but I started investigating doing this and I reached, uh, you reached out, you saw me, I saw you, whatever it was. And that spawned several conversations. And now we've got uh, video content to back it all up. So exactly. Um, and this is a, a friendship and a business arrangement that's going to continue for a long time. Yeah, um, I hope so, man. My hope is whenever I do share this, that you'll get a bunch of people asking about you and coming to you and saying, hey, yeah. I love this stuff. Where can I learn more? How can I talk to you more? That's my goal. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. I'm Dr. D. Todd Russell. This is the Dentrepreneur Show. You can reach me at my website, dentrepreneurllc.com. I've got clients where I'm advising them on um, looking forward to and planning for their exit, bringing in experts like Eric to help you and your practice and your, your dental practice uh, get ready for your eventual uh, retirement, maybe, or move into more of a passive income dental practice. I'd be happy to help anybody out there. You can find us also on this uh, particular podcast on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Thank you again, Eric, for being on the show. I really appreciate it, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Please follow or subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube. If you would like further information or to meet with me one-on-one -on -one and discuss your practice, please feel free to contact me through my website, dentrepreneurllc.com. Many more exciting guests and topics are headed your way. 